Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all the latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this episode I'll be joined by Dr Bernadette Early, researcher in Chagas Grange, highlighting the welfare advantages experienced by animals in Irish beef systems. And I first asked her what research is currently underway in Chagas Grange. So we quantified antibiotic usage at animal level on 123 farms. Now this comprised 79 beef and 44 dairy farms. And what we found really was, was very interesting and very useful in that our usage of antibiotics is low in Ireland relative to other countries for our production systems. But the one thing that we have to be very vigilant of is that we have more responsible use of antibiotics. How can farmers be more responsible with regard to the use of these antibiotics? Well, um, the Department of Agriculture again and other stakeholders have come out with certain recommendations and there are what what we call like the six rights are being you know made available and information is on the DAFM website as well as on the Chagas website. So the six rights really are the right veterinary diagnosis, the right animal, the right antibiotic, right dose, the right duration and the right storage and disposal of the antibiotic. And which of these do you think is having the biggest impact on farm with regard to antimicrobial resistance? Um, Perhaps the, the right diagnosis and the right antibiotic and In the past, we were probably more inclined to use what is known as the highest priority, critically important antibiotics. Uh, But now we're being asked to use more of the penicillin type. So at the moment, there will be restricted use of what is known as the third and fourth generation cephalosporins and the macrolides. And what will this mean for Irish beef farmers? Really, it won't be anything negative as such. But what it will mean is that it will be so important to have a herd health plan in place. So if the farmer is working with his vet and with his jagask advisor and really put together a a herd health plan with recommendations. And one key feature would be to pay attention to colostrum feeding, animal nutrition and animal purchasing policies. Um, Vaccinating of animals as well is, is a key and there is quite good benefits in, let's say, vaccinating the dam pre-calving, such that when the calf consumes adequate colostrum, that it will attain sufficient immunity to protect itself against disease. And I presume biosecurity would be very important on farms to help with this. How would farmers go about? Um, use of disinfectant baths, you know, be, being very careful, you know, because it is their enterprise, it is their... You know, it's their own their way of in- their source of income. So it's important that, you know, footbeds, disinfectants are in place in those and that, um, you know, they're just really aware that disease can come on onto a farm, like through maybe contact, you know, it may be with dirty overalls or that or being on somewhere else where you bring in infection onto your farm. With the current beef situation and price, there's been an increase in steers on Irish farms. What would you advise with regard to castrating bulls for over one years of age? Um, that's an interesting question because um, it it is becoming more topical. Let's say, as you said, suggested that you know being bulls being um, entire and then castrated. So there are different procedures that can be carry, carried out 
With animals over six months of age, there's the option of doing a Burdizzo castration, which is a bloodless castration. There's the option of doing surgical castration as well as banding. Now, just to remember also that the legislation in place as regards castration of older animals, animals over six months of age must be administered a local anaesthetic, for example, something like lignocaine before they are castrated. And this lignocaine is a veterinary surgeon-only product, so it must be administered by a vet. Um, There's very little difference in performance between animals that are castrated, let's say, at six months of age and between six to, let's say, 17 months of age and how they perform, you know, throughout that time up to slaughter at 22 months of age. Um, Jerry Keane at at Chagaskin Grange carried out a series of studies where they castrated bulls using surgical castration from 7 to 17 months of age and there was no difference in carcass weight when the animals were slaughtered at 22 months of age. You've mentioned that there's no difference between 6 months and 17 months. What is the legal and welfare requirement then in relation to castrating young calves? A young calf can be castrated under six months of age without the use of a local anaesthetic. And um, we have looked at studies where we castrated young calves, young dairy calves, from one and a half up to five and a half months of age. And we did show that the younger calf, you know, is probably able to deal very well with the stress of castration. But one thing that we would note, and other groups are finding it as well, is that if you castrate a calf as young as one and a half months of age, are you actually doing more damage to that calf because it may not be developed sufficiently physiologically and may not be able to counteract the stress um, of castration. And what would your advice be in that situation? Um, we would, there about a year ago, we castrated some young suckler um, uh, bull calves at two and a half months of age and at five months of age. And what we did observe was that um, there was very little difference in the first four hours after castration in terms of a stress response in the younger group, but in the calves that was uh, close to five months of age or approaching six months of age, there was like a secondary stress response that came in about five hours after castration. Now, what I mean by a stress response is that when we castrate animals, we will collect blood samples before castration and afterwards, and we will measure the level of the stress hormone cortisol. So there was a slight elevation in the period four to nine hours after castration in the older calves. But we've also carried out other studies with castration and found that there is a beneficial effect in giving what is known as a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug um, before you castrate animals, that it's probably even better in terms of animal welfare than administering the local anaesthetic on its own. And what is the best method for use for this procedure? Um, well, traditionally, and I suppose more commonly in Ireland, we're using the Bardizzo technique as probably the most uh, common technique um, available. And a farmer can castrate animals younger than six months of age 
it it doesn't have to be a vet as long as they have been trained to do so and young farmers are being trained in that procedure. Talking about calves, what are the legal and welfare requirements relating to calf disputing? Um, If we compare at an age basis, let's say a dairy calf with a beef calf, we find that the horn buds develop earlier in the uh, dairy calves than in the beef calves. We've disputed calves at this, around the same age and we measure actually the height of the bud as well as the diameter of the bud. And in calves around 25 days of age or on average 25 days of age, the bud diameter for a beef calf is about 16 millimetres, whereas the bud diameter for um, a beef calf is about 13 and it's also important when disbudding the calf, when using a hot iron disbudder, that the diameter of the um, the horn extracting part will actually surround or take in some of that hair and tissue around by the bud. Because if you leave that, if you take out the bud on its own without taking out some of the tissue around, you may get some regrowth of the horn later when the calf is, is older. And again, with the castration, or sorry, with the disbudding, um, for the disbudding of the young calf, they can be uh, disbudded with over when they reach the, let's say, from day 15 of age onwards. There's the use of a local anaesthetic is made available, which is adrenocaine, which is adrenaline and procaine. It's uh, one of the older um, anaesthetics, but it is quite effective in calves when it's used from day 15 onwards. And what has research shown with regard to the spudding that you have done? Um, well, what we've done is we've initially started out to show that, you know, because you would observe and the farmer also observes and there was some anecdotal evidence that horn buds develop later in the beef calves than the dairy calves. And we've actually shown that from the work we did. And this is something that would need to be considered when, you know, planning out um, the disbudding of calves. The other important thing to to note as well is that with disbudding of calves, it's important that the person or the individual who is carrying out the procedure is trained in the use of the administration of the local anaesthetic because it's administered into an area of which is called the corneal nerve, and this is along a ridge of bone from the eye to the to the base of the ear. It's quite easy to find the little pore and inject the site. Um, but that needs to be done, you know, with good restraint of the calf. And it's also so important that, you know, the farmer would have a dehorning crate to restore the, or, I mean, to, um, you know, keep the animal immobilised as such. Can you tell me about the recent space allowance study that you carried out, Bernie? We've carried out um, a number of uh, space allowance studies and I suppose the interest in this is that there has been a call from, you know, within Europe and from, from what is known as the European Food Safety Authority also that uh, a finishing animal should receive more space or have a more generous space allowance over the indoor winter finishing period. So the extrapolation was made that a 150kg animal has a space allowance at 1.5 metres squared and it has been suggested then that a 600kg animal should have four times the amount. So at the moment that would mean that if a change like that was introduced that you'd be housing animals at 6 metres squared. 
Um, what we would do typically, for example, with a um, finishing animal going into the shed for the winter period, let's say typically around 590 kg, we would house them at a space allowance which would be approaching maybe between 2.8 to 3 metres squared. So we carried out a large-scale study then where we um, had animals at three different space allowances at 3 metres squared, 4.5 metres squared and 6 metres squared on slats. And then we had a 6 metres squared comparison on straw. Um, the study lasted about 105 days. Uh, what we did find at the end of the study period when the animals were, were uh, killed, there was no difference in carcass weight across the three space allowances. So the carcass weight was around 340, 344 kg uh, at 3.5, 4.5 and 6. And there was no difference at the 6 metre squared on straw. However, we did find that the animals that was housed on the straw bed were dirtier by the end of the study than those at the 6 metre squared on slats. Um, we also collected the weight of the hide of those of all animals and the animals coming off the straw bedded uh, pen or treatment, they had heavier hides than those on the on the slats at six metres squared. So the, we concluded from the study that our present recommended, recommended space allowance is adequate in terms of animal welfare and performance and we would not see it necessary to increase the space allowance for animals during the winter housing period. So uh, as a result of that study, what is the space allowance legally now for legislation? Um, well, in terms of legislation, it has, it has been based previously on work from coming from Grange. It was from the work of Dodd, but at that time we had, I suppose, typically more Holstein or Frisian-type animals rather than continental-type animals. So at that time, the recommended space allowance was around 600 kg, 2.2 metres squared, around at that type of, uh, of an allowance. But at the moment, we're operating between 2.8 to 3. So that when we have an animal finished over the winter period, that is adequate for them in terms of space. You're also heavily involved in research relating to transporting cattle. What have your studies shown? We did studies within Ireland where we looked at different stu journey durations. So we did 6 hour, 9 hour, 12, 18 and 24 hours of transport. Those were journeys we made within Ireland. This was before or when there was uh, consideration was being given to changing the, um, the, the journey times and the conditions for animals during transport. We found no adverse effect of the transport on the animals as a result of those journeys. Following that, we did transport work where we brought animals from Ireland to France and from France down to Italy and down to Spain on separate, those would be separate studies. Always we maintained control, non-transported, we call them control, but non-transported animals um, in Ireland, either at Grange or on commercial farms. The journeys we made were part of commercial transport. So we had a team here in Ireland working with the animals that remained here and we had a team that we brought with us to um, through France and to Spain and Italy. And through contacts I had with the different labs in France and Spain, we would blood sample the animals and take them to the labs and have them processed. What we did find was that um, there was no adverse effect of the transport under those conditions. 
either to France, through France, or to Spain, or to Italy. Of interest, we showed that um, those types of transport journeys are known as roll-on, roll-off. So the animals remain on the transporter until they arrive in France. So the journey crossing from Ireland to Cherbourg was around 23 hours, and we had CCTV cameras on the on the uh, truck itself or the transporter recording the behaviour of the animals, and we found that about 54% of the time of the duration of that journey, the animals would lie down. So this was considered like a rest period as well for the animals undergoing the sea journey. We also continued all of those types of measurements and we had cameras, you know, with the same cameras on the truck then from around the transporter from France to to uh, down to Italy or Spain. And also we showed then that during those journey, that journey time, the animals would spend between 40 to 45% of the time lying down. They did have adequate space allowance. The space allowance allocation that we had for the heifers to Spain was 0.85 metres squared. And we transported bulls to Italy and they had a space allowance of about 1.2 metres squared. So th those animals that were transported to Italy were around 400 kg. And what impact had that study on legislation? Um, well, we came back and we did all the analysis and uh, had it published in the scientific, what we call the scientific domain. Um, I had several meetings then at, in, you know, in, at European level and also at the department level here. And as a result of all of that, new legislation came into place. So the transport conditions that we have at the moment they should not cause any adverse effect to the animals undergoing transport. And um, I think it was very beneficial to do at the, at the time. And certainly we learned a lot from it as well in terms of the management of animals during transport. At one time, there was a suggestion made to us that, um, one, you see, what happens with the transport of the animals is once you arrive in France, you move to a layerage and the animals then are rested for a 24-hour period and then they're reloaded back onto the transporter. There was one suggestion made to us that when we get to France that you drive for nine hours and then once you get you go to a layerage then but you layerage them for only 12 hours and then reload them and drive for another nine hours, rest for two then until you get to your destination we found that that journey, when we did it, was not really very beneficial to the animals in terms of, you know, their welfare, because you were leaving really animals on a transporter without unloading them, whereas it's much better to unload the animals and let them have access to water and hay so that they can, you know, have enough of energy then for and you know nutrition for the rest of the journey. That's some very interesting information. Thanks, Bernie, for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.